And we know that uh, all of us come in with imperfections, with brokenness, with struggles, with things that we face. But I thank you for the words that we just sang there, that where my courage ends, let my, <clears throat> let my heart find strength in your presence, to know that when all hell breaks loose in our life, that we don't walk through things alone, that you are a refuge and our strength, you are our comfort and hope in a time of struggle. So we pray today that you would speak to us through the power of your word, that everything would be pointed to Jesus first and foremost. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. While you're staying, standing real quick, turn in your Bibles with me. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. We're gonna start in Titus chapter one, starting in verse 10. We're gonna be continuing our Titus series. Uh, and this is what he says. This is what Paul says uh, to Titus. He says, for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining old households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to, not, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their conscience are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You may have a seat. As you do, I just want to encourage you as we jump into today. Today's sermon title is really called Leadership and Confrontation. And the reality is, if most of us are honest, we don't really like confrontation, do we? I mean, the thought of confronting somebody or dealing with conflict, whether it's with a family or a friend or anybody else, most of us want to shy away from. But here's what's taking place in this section of scripture. This whole idea is, is really what's taking place is that this has happened. The lifestyle of the people that, that Titus is around, remember they're on the island of Crete, the lifestyle of those people has crept into the teaching of the church. Matter of fact, what they're saying is that you need more than just Jesus. You need Jesus plus works. You need Jesus plus the law. You need Jesus plus everything else. And the problem is they're missing out on the bigger picture of what really takes place. Because when Jesus comes, Jesus says, listen, it's Jesus plus nothing. As a matter of fact, there's a book out there. If you were to look it up, it says Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so what I want to begin to challenge us with is as we dig into this, we have to understand that with leadership, comes times where you have to deal with or confront individuals that basically are teaching wrong things. Now, there is nothing that I could say here that would, I would say, hey, this is something we're dealing with in the church. What we do see it taking place in, and when I say our church, our church, um, what we do see taking place is that there are all kinds of people who run all kinds of different directions, believe in all kinds of different things, and all you got to do is turn on the TV for a little bit, and you watch it, and you'll know what I'm talking about whether it's teachings about morals and morality and things like that, or even teaching, teachings on biblical doctrine and theology, we understand that there are times and places that things need to be addressed. And Paul is basically telling Titus, if you'll remember, remind yourself, or let me remind you, that in, in verse five of Titus, chapter one, verse five, 
Paul says, hey, listen, I'm leaving you in Crete, and here's the reason why I'm leaving you there, because there is a bunch of problems going on, okay? Timothy, I'm leaving you in Crete because you need to raise up pastors or elders, same word used interchangeably. You need to raise up pastors or elders who are gonna lead the people in the direction they need to go, who are gonna be obedient to the word of God, who are gonna follow the truth and not be misled by false teaching and everything else. So remember, Titus is there for this reason and he's supposed to appoint pastors and elders, which is what we talked about last week. And now he says this, here's the reason why you need pastors and leaders and elders who are gonna be strong and understand what's going on because there are many rebellious what? People. There are all kinds of rebellious people all around. And so since the foundation of the church, since the beginning, there are those who have attempted to cause great trouble within the church. Some would love to see the church destroyed. Some or others want control and will cause great conflict in order to gain it. Some work against the plan of God and want to mold the church into what they want it to be. And the reality is what we have to begin to understand is that the Bible is filled with all kinds of concern about false teaching and its danger to the people of God. As a matter of fact, to the point where Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous or ravaging wolves. All right, what we begin to understand is this, that there are people who will claim to be followers of Jesus. Matter of fact, we've kind of talked about this before. There are people who will claim to be Christian. When we are here, the statements like 70% of all people claim to be Christians in the United States. You and I know that based upon actions, that 70% of the people in the United States aren't Christians. They're just claiming that. Maybe they were born and raised in the church, but they've walked away. Maybe they're saying, hey, I'm a Christian because I'm not Muslim or I'm not Jewish or I'm not anything else. Maybe that's their identification. But the reality is there is something different between a Christ follower and everybody else. And we have to understand that false teaching is something that can creep in very easily. See, the truth is that false teaching is just in reality like a cancer. Matter of fact, when we hold on to false teaching, that cancer can spread all the way throughout. Matter of fact, that's why we have different viewpoints and opinions on different theological topics and ideas. That's why we have the name it and claim it, the health and prosperity gospel that says, if you just believed in Jesus enough, you should be rich because he wants to pour out all the blessings and all the mercy. That's nowhere in scripture. What you have is a false teaching that's risen up. And so as we dig into Titus chapter one, we're gonna wrap up chapter one here today. I'm excited over the next couple of weeks, but as we look and see in order to understand why we need pastors and leaders who are gonna lead us in the right direction, we have to begin to understand what's taking place. See, when someone is teaching wrong theology or they begin to chase after crazy thoughts, then we have to be quick to address these issues and stand on the truth of God's word. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy chapter four says this, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So here's the truth of the matter. When I watch my life and what I believe, my doctrine, what I build my life upon here, when I watch my life and my doctrine, then I will persevere all right, and as a result of that perseverance, when it comes down, I will save not only myself, and I say that I will, it's this idea that I will be saved in Jesus, but you will save your, yourself and your hearers. And what that, con- what that contains is this idea that when 
we teach something that is false or wrong, we not only mislead ourselves, but we mislead who? Others, the people under us. I'm gonna use this as an example. There have been statements in, 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 the, in the world that we've operated, and obviously our church has, has grown from 20 to 75. It's been six, six and a half years. You guys realize that? Been here six and a half years. Yeah, seems like yesterday. It's like, how'd that happen? All right, six and a half years, okay? In that time, we've grown. In that time, all of us, I think, in some way, shape, or form, especially those who have been here uh, for the whole time who were here before me, have grown in a way. But I wanna, I wanna use an example because I, 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 I'm in this world with church planting and church replanting and dying churches and meeting with people and all kinds of things. But I wanna use an example of, of a false teaching. The heart is good. But I've heard people say, well, if we just got back to the hymns of the faith, then our church would grow. In reality, what you're saying is that God is confined to a box of a certain style of music. That God can't work outside the bounds and the norms that we think are set up, okay? Or I'll even go the other direction. If we just did all contemporary, our church would grow. Well, that's not true either. Because you could have the greatest music team in the world, but if you don't have a desire for evangelism and sharing the gospel with others and you don't wanna be obedient to God's word, then all you're gonna do is have a bunch of fluff and you're gonna attract a bunch of people and you're not gonna lead them in the right direction. Okay, so I want you to understand that there are teachings that can begin to take place that creep in that we allow to affect our mind and the way we respond. Matter of fact, here's another one. Right? In the, back in the day, people were told, hey, you, you, you withdraw from the world, you remove yourself from the world, and, and as a result, we're gonna be the holy nation, a royal priesthood over here. We're not gonna hang out with lost people. We don't do any of that stuff. And as a result, we have no impact on lost people. But then we got the other side. Well, hey, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna do everything they do, and I'm gonna act just like them, because I'm gonna use that as an opportunity to reach them. The only problem is you've set up a standard that says I have no moral standards or nor biblical beliefs because I'm willing to do what they do, but then I'm still gonna claim to follow Jesus. Do you see how the rubber meets the road, how false teachings begin to creep in in both sides or in, in different areas like that? And the problem is what we see in Titus is there's not just that false teaching, but there's this false teaching that if we had Jesus plus other things, and so Titus is, is being addressed to say, hey, listen, there are many rebellious people rising up. And what I want us to understand is that what, uh, what we live or how we live must line up with what we teach. Matter of fact, what you teach should be lived out by you on a daily basis. Now, listen, I wholeheartedly understand all of us are sinners. We all struggle. We're all gonna still struggle with sin. You're gonna hit brick walls. You're gonna make a decision. You're gonna say something you shouldn't have said. You're gonna act in a way you shouldn't have acted. I understand that wholeheartedly. What we have to begin to understand though is as teachers, when we teach somebody, we have to understand that we're held to a higher standard. Matter of fact, the Bible says it in James chapter one that because we're held to a higher standard, that less and less people should strive to be that teacher. It doesn't mean don't strive for it. What it's saying is, listen, if you want to set out to be the teacher, the pastor, the leader, you have to understand that your life now has to rise up to an occasion. You have to understand that you have to walk in the grace and truth. You have to understand that you can't act one way and then do something else. Or you can't teach something and then do the opposite. You know, the old statement, 
do as I, or do as I say, not as I do, right? You know, Ethan caught me on something the other day. He's like, how come you get to do it? And I was like, cause I'm the dad. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's not fair. And I was like, well, that's the way it is, buddy. <laughs> you know, and, but those are things that we can't do. I can't sit back and go, hey, this is what's the expectation of members of the church. And then as the pastor not be a part of it. All right. So as we jump in, here's the key statement. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. That rebellion from scripture leads to false teaching and deception where some claim to know God, but by their actions deny God. Rebellion from scripture leads to false teaching and deception where some claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny God. All right? So the big picture here that we wanna have today is this, that we want our teaching based upon the truth of God's word to line up with or to direct my life that my actions fall underneath what I claim to believe, that I am obedient to God's word first and foremost, and as a result, then my life reaps the benefits of what God wants to do in and through me. See, in today's world, and here's what I'm gonna get into as we jump into this, when it says, for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, we have to begin to understand that that is no different than what we have today. We have people say, well, it's okay, you can do that. You can do this, we can walk in that direction. You don't need to have any sort of moral standards. Oh, the biblical, you know, that's 2,000 years old. Do you really wanna live your life based upon a book that's 2,000, 4,000 areas year old? I mean, come on, things have changed. Society's changed, culture has changed. You don't need to have those kinds of standards. Well, if that's the case, then where do we draw the line at where we lower the standard? See, the beautiful thing about scripture is this that the scripture communicates the story, what we were just talking about earlier, or singing about earlier. It communicates the story of God's redemption of mankind. That regardless of what I've done in the past, I can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because the blood on the cross that he shed, the death that he died was good for everybody. And that I don't have to do anything else to earn God's grace and God's salvation. I can't do anything else to earn God's grace and God's salvation. Now, as a result of God's grace and salvation, he asks me to be obedient, to be obedient to him and to do what he's called me to do. So the role or, or, or how we play this out is that we wanna be obedient to scripture, not rebellious from it, but we wanna be obedient to scripture, teach the truth of scripture, and as a result, not deceive people, but to live the life that God has called us to live so that we can be an example to everybody else of what Jesus does in a broken person. So rebellion from scripture leads to false teaching and deception where some claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny God. So here's the question. What is the church to confront? How does the church, how does the leadership in a church confront? How do we deal with this? And remember what I said, nobody likes to talk about confrontation, do we? Let alone deal with it. Confrontation is one of the most uncomfortable things. You have a conflict with a brother or a sister, you really wanna deal with it? As, as, as kids, sometimes it comes out, you know, one of the things we're dealing with right now, you know, with our kids, it's just like constantly at each other's throat. It's like, oh my gosh, knock it off. Your brother and sister or your two sisters, stop, you know? And then I come up, I'm like, if you don't knock it off, I'm gonna whip your tail. And they look at me like, what? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, stop. 
But conflict is one of those things that we never like to deal with. We never want to struggle through. We, we, we try and avoid it at all costs. And the problem is when it's avoided, it just leads to problems. So here's the deal. What is the church to confront? Number one is this. It confronts those who are deceitful, all right? In other words, those who would be misleading, those who do the wrong things. Listen again what he says in verse 10. For there are many rebellious people. There are mere talkers and what? Deceivers. And then he says, who they are, especially those of the circumcision group. Now, what you have to understand is it's not an attack on all Jews. What this is, is an attack on those who were saying, hey, that's great. You got the grace by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus died on the, on the cross, but you also have to follow the law. You need to perform the ritualistic sacrifices that go on. You need to make sure that you do and don't eat certain things. You need to make sure that you are doing every bit of the law. And if you know anything about scripture, this is the the struggle that everybody thinks. And, And this is one of those things that when we even get into discussions about posting the 10 commandments, do you realize that there is no one, no one who is capable of holding to the 10 commandments except Jesus? The Bible's very clear that Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law. In other words, I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill what you can't do. Why? Because the law points to me or shows me how bad I am. It shows to me the sin in my life. It shows to me the need for Jesus. It shows me the need for redemption. It shows me the need for forgiveness. It shows me the need for God's grace. It lays that out. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law for us. Why? Because we'll all fail. That's why in, the, in scripture, when it says, listen, if you hate somebody, it's like murdering somebody. Or it says, if you looked at a woman lustfully, that you've already what? You've already performed or committed adultery. Listen, all of those things are things that we are all gonna struggle with and it should show us over and over and over again our need for Jesus day in and day out in our life. And so he's just coming out. These these men, these elders who are gonna lead out, they have to be a blameless character. Why? Because they have to be able to teach against what's being taught by these people that there are, there's all kinds of mis- misconceptions. There's all kinds of deception and rebellious people, listen, rebellious people are all throughout society. Matter of fact, rebellious people are all throughout the church. All you gotta do is have a disagreement with somebody and you find out real quick what's rebellion. And sometimes, I can even tell you this, sometimes pastors are rebellious against what God may be calling them to do. So you have to begin to understand that those are things that can creep in. But listen, there weren't just a few false teachers who had risen to prominence in the churches. There was a lot Matter of fact, you can go through and look up whether it's Paul or John or Jesus. You can look through the gospels where there's warning after warning about watching for false teaching. So listen, we confront those who are deceitful. Why? Because there is a bigger picture at play. There's a bigger goal or a bigger purpose. It says that they must be silenced in verse 11 because they are ruining whole households. Here's, here's the biggest struggle right now, if you'll think about this. When false teaching creeps into the church, it doesn't just affect a small few. It creeps into a church and it affects everybody because all of a sudden there are relational conflicts 
There are problems between groups of people or maybe individuals. There are things that creep in that we allow to be the primary focus when that maybe is not the primary focus. And so it says, who's the church to confront? It confronts those who are being deceitful. And their deception, listen, they are deceptive in so many ways. Number one, it says they are dangerous in what they were thinking or in what they think. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. All right, so they're dangerous in what they think. See, we do good works and we serve and love others not to gain Jesus' acceptance. We've already gained Jesus' acceptance. We serve others and we do good works to others and we be obedient to Jesus because that's what he says, if you love me, you will follow my or obey my commands. I do it as a result of love. And likewise, it would be the same way when I'm with my parents or if I was with somebody who's in authority. I don't do it because it's a dominating dictatorship. I do it because they've said, hey, this is what we're asking you to do. Whether it's at work, hey, we're doing this because we want to accomplish this. Whether it's with my parents or if it was a, a, a person in authority. In every circumstance and situation, we all have authority in some way, shape, or form in our lives. And what happens is it says that these people were rebellious, right? In other words, they didn't like the authority. And as a result, they also didn't like what was being taught. So they begin to be dangerous in what they think. These false teachers ruin families by teaching incorrect things. And then not only that, when we confront those who are deceitful, we have to understand that we confront them because they're dishonest in what they're teaching. Here's, here's the biggest thing I could ever tell you. And I would say this for every pastor or every, every teacher you sit under. Everything you're taught, every statement that's made needs to be evaluated based upon the truth of Scripture. Is what I'm being taught lining up with what Scripture says? Now, a lot of you may say, well, how do I do that? Well, you've got to read the Word. How do I line things up when I catch something or if, if I see something wrong? Ask a question. Sometimes misinterpretation or misunderstanding is huge. We misunderstand maybe what somebody said, or maybe, trust me, I think about it all the time because I've had people come and go, Gee, you said such and such. I'm like, no, I didn't say that. And then somebody else is like, yeah, you did. I'm like, listen, sometimes when you talk, this is the bad thing about talking. Sometimes when you talk, maybe words don't come out right. Anybody ever been there? Like you start to mean, you mean to say something, but the way you said it maybe didn't come out right and you don't think about it. And anyways, if you've ever done public speaking, I'm just gonna tell you this, at some point in time, you're, you're, you're speaking publicly and something comes out and you didn't even think about it. You just went on. And maybe you misspeak at times. But I want you to understand that we have to confront those who are deceitful. We must always be examining our hearts and what's going on, always evaluating and what is what I'm teaching, lining up with scripture. We must always evaluate that. And here's, here's the reason why. All of these false teachers have a way of tarnishing or giving a bad name and reputation of who Jesus is and what his church should be about. So I go back to some of the things maybe you've heard in the past. And I'm even gonna bring up, I'm not gonna bring up names, but TV evangelists and guys like this who are like, send us your $50 and your prayer requests and we'll pray over your prayer requests and then your prayer will be answered. Okay, there's a beautiful thing called the priesthood of a believer. Do you guys, do you guys understand what priesthood of the believer is? Good, I'm gonna tell you. When Jesus died on the cross, all right, anybody know what happened? It says that the veil was what? 
What did the veil represent? The separation from God. When Jesus died on the cross, by faith in Jesus Christ, that veil was torn and I now have direct access to God. Therefore, that's why you don't come into our church and have a confessional in the back of the building. Because you don't have to come to me to confess. You can go directly to God to confess your sins. Now, there is something to be said because James says, hey, it, it's good to go to brothers and confess your sins so that they can pray with you, so they can help restore you and things like that. But listen to me, you don't have to go to the pastor to confess your sins because Jesus' death on the cross gives me direct access to God because I am now, when I'm in Christ, I am now seen as being in Jesus. And so when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. Jesus, blood-bought, redeemed, purchased with the price, he is now my son. I am a part of having a relationship with God the Father through the Son, and I can hear from the Spirit because the Spirit talks to me. This is the beauty of what takes place in Scripture. So we begin to understand that we have to examine our hearts. You don't have to send 50 bucks into a dude to pad his pockets so he can have a $68 million jet. I'm just telling you that. It bothers me greatly. And I've heard these guys say things like, well, I can't hang around the heathens in a commercial jet. <laughs> well, really? Maybe you should. To know what it's really like to try and reach people with the gospel, to be down where they're at, where they struggle, where they fight, where they claw, where they deal with things that they need to be dealt with. Listen to me, and I wholeheartedly say this, and there's other ways we can go down. It's not just TV evangelists. But we have to guard or confront those who are deceitful. Number two is this. We have to confront those who are being deceived, okay? In other words, when we see false teaching creep in and somebody brings some of that up, we have to confront those individuals well, those who are being deceived. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons, all right? Here's what they're saying. Cretans aren't good. Matter of fact, uh, in most of the studies I read, if, 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 if somebody said you were cretinizing something, it meant you were a liar. It meant you were de a deceiver. It meant that, you know, a Cretan was not somebody you'd go, okay, I'll take that, their word for it because in their culture, in their lifestyle, it would be something that's coming in. So what they're saying now is false teaching has crept in as a result of Judaizers, but also because they live in Crete, these guys are lying. They're deceptive. They're manipulative. They're using things to their advantage. And so it's leading to problems. And it says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharp, sharply so that that they will be sound in the faith. Listen, when we confront the deceived, all right, those who have been deceived by these false teachings, we have to begin to understand that they have to be corrected. Now, listen, there's a way to do it with grace, with truth, with love, understanding that there, there are things that have been taught. Matter of fact, I've had to deal with things in the past with guys who come in and they're like, hey, I want to know about this, this, and this. And I'm like, whoa, first of all, I can tell where you grew up. I, I, I'll even say this. I, I listen, I, I talked with some people recently and they're like, King James only. Hymns, no technology. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> All right, my bad. <laughs> because they are, they are of the opinion that the church has to be in King James only. They're of the opinion that technology is evil. You don't use technology. They're of the opinion that the hymns are the only type of music to sing. They're gonna be blown away when we're gonna be just singing the Psalms up, up in heaven. 
that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and they'll be singing. Listen, they were controlled. These people are controlled by their own passions, by their own desires. They were self-indulgent. They had no self-discipline. They had no control. The people of Crete were so characterized by lying that literally, again, to mean or to Cretanize meant to lie. And so these people had been deceived. They had been misled. And so we have to take the time to listen carefully, to weigh what we hear against God's word, to be able to address these issues and address these problems. Because listen to what it says in verse 14. All right, it says, therefore rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. What they're saying is you don't pay attention to the deceptive teachings that the others were teaching, that those people were teaching. So he says, listen, confrontation is not easy. Addressing problems and difficulties and conflict within a situation like that can't be something that we let rise to the top. But listen, the beauty of this is this, that as you confront them and point them to the truth, there is great grace. And there is a great understanding that together we can all come together and accomplish something great. Here's one of the things that scripture over and over and over again teaches. A church that is unified in doctrine a church that is unified in mission, a church that is unified around the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus did will succeed because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But here is the ploy of Satan over and over and over again. If I can attack the unity of the church, if I can attack the gospel with which they proclaim, in other words, to undermine it, undercut it, to present false teaching, then guess what? The gates of hell will always proceed or prevail against those things. So when unity and in, 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 in purpose and direction around the gospel is prevalent, the church will succeed. When disunity is prevalent, when false teaching is prevalent, the church will not succeed. And that's one of the things that we have to balance as individuals to understand that there is great gain in being obedient to God's word and being unified around the mission that Jesus gave us in the first place. So we must confront those who are deceived. And then the last one, we have to confront the corrupt, the deceptive, the deceiving, the divisive, and what goes on. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Here, here's what we have to begin to understand. Purity that counts comes only through Christ. Holiness comes only in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't come in anything else. What we begin to see is that the lack of purity, matter of fact, they lacked purity. Listen to Mark chapter seven. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. In other words, what is going on in my heart and comes out shows my need for the gospel. But listen, what I take in doesn't defile me. Who I hang around doesn't defile me. If I hang around them and do what they do, now what do we got? Now we got problems. 
This is one of those things. This is where I told you the, the rubber meets the road or there's a balance here that you have to begin to understand. I want to hang around with lost people. You need to hang around with lost people. You need to be able to connect with them and relate with them and talk with them, understand their struggles, understand their difficulties, but at the same time, listen, not do what they do. Not act like they act. Not say what they say. <laughs> I'm doing a wedding in October. I haven't seen all these guys. As a matter of fact, there's a guy um, that I was in the Navy with. Um, they're getting married in Rapid City, South Dakota. He asked me to perform the wedding. So we're walking through that process. And right now I'm in a group text with all these guys that I was on a ship with. And they're like, what are we doing for this and this and this? And I'm like, well, I won't be there. I guess I won't be at that. Yep, definitely not gonna do that. So I'm gonna ask you to pray for me the first week of October because I'm gonna be in Rapid City, South Dakota with a bunch of the guys I was in the Navy with that I can guarantee is not gonna be <clears throat> of what I'll call a cream of the crop, you know, Christian weddings, okay? And so what I'm asking you to do is pray for that. But I want you to understand that doesn't mean I'm gonna go and do what they do. I'm gonna use the example to live a life of truth, to stand by and say, hey, look, I didn't do it while I was in with you and I'm still not gonna do it even though it's been 20-something years later. But we have to confront the corruption that takes place. Listen, to corrupt, nothing is pure in mind, all right? In other words, here's the idea. For the corrupt, nothing is pure in mind. In other words, how they think. There's nothing pure. And their conscience, their moral judgment is corrupt as well. So when we think about that, that nothing outside a person can defile them, but it's rather what's coming out of a person that defiles them. See, when a person is pure in heart and mind, his perspective on all things are pure and inner purity produces outer purity. When I am pure in heart and pure in mind, then I begin to think overarching about everything. That should be even the way, and I'm, I'm an, even the way I think about politics, it all stems from what's pure in heart and pure in mind. What does scripture say about a certain topic? What does scripture say about a certain place or viewpoint on certain things? Listen to Luke chapter six, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man, he brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. When we look at society, when we look at culture, we begin to understand this one thing. The reason we have so much wickedness taking place in our society is because we have a bunch of people with impure thoughts, impure motives, and impure hearts. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, not only do I speak, I do. So Paul is warning Titus. Remember, appoint elders. And the reason we want you to...